Father, we know to have that desire is a wonderful thing. But Lord Jesus, we know to be able to do that for a songwriter to catch the inspiration. The song may have come in a matter of minutes or might have stretched over a few days, possibly even a week, of them tweaking the words and getting the thought right. But really the song came, no doubt, a lot faster than the achievement will in most of our lives. For we give a little away and you give us more back. We give a little more away, you give us more back. Really our whole Christian lives and our walk is just learning how to submit. As we give things away that are in our way, you give us things to help us to make us better people. We've come here tonight, Lord, for such a purpose. We've not come to see or to be seen. We've not come to applaud one another. We've not come, Lord, to hear our ears tickled. But we've come to learn our shortcomings, our mistakes. We've come to hear the lives of people who've lived before us and learn by their failures, by their walks and their successes, that we would be able to apply them to our lives. Lord Jesus, we ask you tonight to help us. Speak to us from your word. May we leave this place tonight saying, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the way? Lord, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask. Amen. Greet you tonight in the name of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? <clears throat> wonderful to be serving the Lord. Let's read tonight 2 Corinthians, if you would, again, chapter 6, verse 15. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The word separate again, divide, sever, to mark off from others by boundaries, to limit, to separate, to exclude as disreputable, to a point set apart for some purpose. Now watch what God promises after we separate and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now listen carefully. I want to be more than verse 16. I don't want to just be called part of the people of God. Israel's the people of God. Nay, no wonder I'm born again tonight. As far as Jews, you understand what I'm saying. But in order to enter into verse 18, you come through verse 17, which has come out from among them, and be you separate, saith the Lord, then I'll receive you. Then this is the reward for separation. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. I don't want to just be the people. I want to be a son. Saith the Lord Almighty, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. How many believes with me tonight the early church was a set-apart people? Sanctified people. They believed in Bible holiness, separate from the people of the world. And yet, it must have been a peculiar thing for them because them being Jews were accepting Gentiles into the faith. So these Gentiles, their cultures were different. Their diet was different. Their mannerisms were different. Their ways were different. By the time, now we read here in Corinthians, it's around 58 to 60 A.D., something like that. So they've had, um, you know, several, several years to be able to enter into the adaptation of Christianity. But you can imagine it was not easy. Because initially they thought everybody would have to be a Jew. Well, then when the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, they thought they would have to become converted as did the Old Testament Gentiles, as Ruth did, and the others that have to be converted to Judaism. So then they'd have to start keeping the Sabbath, they'd have to start keeping the seven feasts, they'd have to start doing everything and the ceremonial law that the Jews did in order to really be a Jew. You remember they had the confrontation and the brethren had to meet them in Jerusalem and they finally agreed, nope, nope, we'll not lay that on the Gentiles, but just to not eat anything that died in its own blood and just a couple of different things that they said. And they said, well, the Gentiles will go on. Circumcision is not required. But there were still some of them that was really struggling with that. But yet, New Testament separation, it was not to where that they pulled all the Jews off or even all the Christians off and they live in isolated communities and they had nothing to do with the world in the sense of being around them. But they learned through the master teacher, the Lord Jesus himself, that real New Testament separation was going to be somewhat different than the Old Testament separation. That it was not going to be that they could not mix linen and woolen in the same garment. 
that they could not sow peas and beans and corn and tomatoes and turnips and parsley and broccoli and all of that in the same row, which was forbidden in the Old Testament. They learned that coming to the New Testament by vision given to God, by God to Peter, that they would be able to be allowed things to eat things in the New Testament that in the Old Testament they could not allow. To be able to shake hands with a Gentile was totally forbidden by their, their Pharisaic law. So it must have been very different. But yet it was not as the modern Laodicean concept to where you can do anything you want to do, dress any way you want to dress, because God looks at the heart and the outside don't matter. That's a lie straight from hell. God does look at the heart, but God also looks at the outside. That's right, because the outside reflects the inside. But New Testament separation is actually contact without contamination. Now remember, Jesus was the one who first introduced this idea, and he introduced it through a chemistry medium, and he used the chemistry as salt as the example. So he says that what good is salt if salt has lost its savor? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Now notice here is a concept all the disciples now remember were Pharisees. So they were the strict religious ones. And they were totally different of course than the Essenes and the Sadducees. So every one of these apostles must have a different concept of the gospel if they're going to be the ones to introduce it. So Jesus must get this new to them before they actually are able to introduce it because if not they'll preach it only to Jews and they'll have this warped idea of what they think the gospel is all about. So when Jesus began to introduce this to them because none of their rabbis would have ever let a prostitute touch them. So when Simon invited the Lord Jesus to come at the table and the woman comes in and washes his feet, remember what Simon thought? Simon thought in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind or what manner of a woman this is that touches him. Well, he knew not only what kind of woman that was, but he knew the very thoughts in Simon's heart, and Simon didn't even utter it out loud. That's our Father, the Lord Jesus. Now notice, but a, a Pharisee, even a Sadducee, an Herodian, an Essene, none of those men would ever allow a prostitute to come and lay her hands on their body because they considered their bodies so holy and so pious by the sanctimonious law that they had kept that even if they rubbed shoulders with you common people they would go home we've said this before and they would wash their hands plumb up to the elbows before they would eat lunch and just in case they had rubbed by any of you Gentile dogs they would change their garment because they didn't want to be defiled by you so here the Lord Jesus allows a prostitute to cry tears out of her eyes 
and to take her hair and lay it down on his feet. Now can you imagine a Pharisee allowing that? By no means. He would have had that woman picked up and thrown out of there. She would have never done it to him in the first place because a Pharisee had no virtue. But she saw there was something about Jesus that had the answer to all of her problems. But the Lord Jesus was the example of what the gospel dose of salt was going to be in the New Testament. So salt is different than just some other things. Salt has to save when it contacts. So you put it in a bottle, you put it in a container, you put it in a a separate thing away from whatever needs to be preserved, and it will do it absolutely no good whatsoever. So the saving power of salt is it being able to contact whatever it is that needs to be saved. And the miraculous part about it is that salt does not lose its testimony, nor does it lose its strength when it contacts, nor does the salt become contaminated. But the salt with its molecular structure given to it by the Creator actually has the ability to change meat, bacon, ham, you know all different kinds of things that you're trying to cure by salt and it will not become contaminated but it actually changes the image the makeup the molecular structure of the meat and whatever more that you're giving it on so it by contact saves now the Lord Jesus has to incorporate this in the new gospel message of the New Testament I think he did a very good job don't you so he conveyed it in such a way by using the example of salt. But now remember when we are rubbing shoulders with the world that the gospel comes in this same pattern today that it comes in a way that we are separate from the world. We don't act like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't dress like the world. But that does not mean that we are Mennonites, Amish, Hutterites, you know, all the, all those sort of ites. But we have to rub shoulders with them every day and so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven and the simple thing well brother Donnie how will I know it's very very simple you just watch when you're rubbing shoulders with the people of the world and see are they contaminating you or are you maintaining the salt of the strength of your life and you are not being watered down you are not compromising you're standing your standard as far as what you believe as a child of God and you're maintaining that and yet you work with this guy and that guy and this woman and that woman or whatever more and they do not weaken you at all anybody hear me preach but if they are weakening you and you find yourself doing what they're doing you better come back to the salt factory that's right because it's probably a good thing to say that you more than likely ain't got baptized in salt water yet you just got a little sprinkle on top of you but if you get changed really good from the soul and you become through and through then no matter how much they drink how much they run around and what they do they are not going to overpower you you will maintain your testimony 
Well, praise the Lord. Now, the Lord Jesus means for his people to be different. Look different, act different, dress different, conduct our businesses in a different way, of course, in the world. But that does not mean that he wants us to be odd and strange and all that sort of thing. Now, a lot of people, they take their human makeup and maybe they've got an odd way about them, a strange way, and they want to spiritualize that and make that oddity as if, though, that is a spiritual sign that they're closer to God than other people. When in reality, it's their oddness. They had that when they was lost. They had that when they was drinking. They had the same thing when they smoke smoking dope. They had the same thing when they was odd when they was a sinner, and now they're odd when they're a Christian, but they want to attribute that to being saved. Come on now, say amen. The Lord wants us to be different, but he does not want to make us odd. You see, the Lord making us different, it will actually make us to where people will kind of draw toward us. But if we take our oddities, and if we make ourselves odd, and really strange and far out, you know what that will do? That will actually repel you, and it will shut the door of your testimony, because people will not want to be around you, unless they're odd like you are. Well, hallelujah. Whoever that was for, that was free of no charge, of course, as always. But you see, we want to be the type of people that we can be separate from the world, and yet the world know there's something different about us. And if they really need prayer requests, that they'll sneak around. They may not want everybody else that works with you to know that they requested you to pray for them, but they really know how to get prayer requests into folks that know how to pray. And that's strange how that works. They don't want our doctrine. They don't want to dress like our sisters. They don't want to live the way they do, but they do want us to pray for them when they get in trouble. You see, that within itself tells us that they know the power of God's in us when apparently it ain't in them. Now notice then, so the New Testament church is going to be a separate type of people. Now let's look again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 if you would. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now remember this is uh, the letter to the Corinthian church and we have no other uh, letter uh, written to the Corinthian church prior to this. So whether it was one that was lost or whether it was a private letter, whether it was one of the other letters that was shared to be identified with them as Paul told others to share we don't know but there was something written to the Corinthian church that Paul is addressing it here I wrote in June an epistle not to company with fornicators now what you notice now whenever Paul wrote this apparently he did not expound on it or make it clear so it raised another question among the Corinthian believers notice in verse 10 he said yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world now of course the Corinthians were a people that went from one side of the ditch to the other they come straight out of the world and then they come the women got saved many of them were harlots of course and they was in the you know the all types of the evil worship and then some of them same women come over into Christianity and then they felt like this called to preach so they went from one side of the dish to the other side of the dish. Don't you see what did that? It was their human makeup. But yet they attributed that about them to God. No doubt these women were strong, bullheaded, you know, pushy women in the world. And whenever, well, hallelujah. Whenever they got saved, they felt like now, praise God, that strong-headed, uh, pushy type of bullheaded thing. They felt like it was a, a great spiritual something. No, it was the same odd, peculiar human makeup. Aren't you glad we're all going to be changed when we get there? Can't you see why we can't just go back to be young people? We got to be changed from this that still remains about us. Well, hallelujah. 
Now notice, so Paul had to clarify this and make it more clear because apparently, Brother Terry, whenever they got this other epistle, they had it in their mind that Paul was telling them, look, you can't even go out there among sinners. And if a sinner man out there is a liar and an extortioner and an idolater and a fornicator, then you can't buy none of his peaches and pears and pickles and maters and taters. I tell you what, don't even buy no horses from him. Don't buy no chariots from them because this is what they perceived in their mind that Paul was saying. So Paul said, no not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters for then must ye needs go out of the world. Now what's Paul doing? Paul is using a contrast. He said that wasn't what I meant. I meant that we're talking about those that are among you. You're going to rub shoulders with them. You're going to buy produce and you're going to trade horses and cows and whatever more with them out there in the world. That was wasn't what I was talking about. So here Paul has the perfect opportunity to say, only trade cars with a Christian. I don't know, I've traded cars with a few Christians and I got burned up. Amen. Only buy apples from oranges. Some sounds like somebody else has too. That was a loud amen. I didn't recognize that voice. Who was that? Now notice he said, not altogether was those of the world. Now what's he trying to do? He's trying to balance them up. He's letting them know, as long as you are in this world, this world, the majority is going to be evil. You're going to, how many of my, my, how many, I wonder, of us sit down and order our breakfast or lunch or dinner at a restaurant, and it might be a harlot that's waiting on you, or a prostitute, or a homosexual, or an extortioner, or you don't know what's waiting on you. Is that right? You never know what's checking you out at Walmart if you get one somebody to check you out anymore but you realize that Paul said no that's not what I'm talking about what you're supposed to do is be a light to them people and do not allow them to contaminate you but he said this is the point I was making but now have I written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother Oh my goodness, so you mean we had church people in the Corinthian church that was actually being called Christians or message believers or whatever they called them in that day, but yet fornication? And of course we know that this was this man living with his stepmother. That was pretty low down, wasn't it? But yet, the Corinthian church was allowing it to be so. Now, Paul said, this is what you need to understand. That among the world out here, you're going to be dealing, you're going to be buying and selling, and you're going to be dealing with them all the time. And you have no choice, really, of that. But whenever it comes to a brother in the house of God, a person who claims they are a Christian, and they are an extortioner, they are a fornicator, they are an adulterer, and you actually go right on and act that's all right hello testing one two I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called notice Paul doesn't say he is but he said he's called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. My goodness, you mean all of these types of people can be called Christians? Now Paul said whenever you got them in the church, don't even eat with them. Praise the Lord, Happy Valley. 
You see, the world is filled with fornicators, idolaters, uh, prostitutes, evil, wretched, wickedness. Paul said you can't change them. But when this goes on in the church and you act like it's fine, Paul said don't have nothing to do with them. Don't let them in your social circles. I'm sorry, friends, this is the Holy Bible. We do believe it, right? You see, the Christians are not supposed to tolerate such in our own ranks. Oh, well, I, I thought we were supposed to be friendly. And what chapter and verse is that? Forgive me, I must have overlooked that. I want to know why the bride is always the one that has to compromise. If a girl falls in love with a girl and she has message parents, it's her parents that are supposed to show love and let her bring her girlfriend to their house. How does that work? I like to throw it back in their laps and say, if you love your parents, then leave your girlfriend at the house. Ah. But you see, many of our message people have got all ooey-gooey with the molasses of worldliness. And they're trying to show kindness. I wonder if Paul would rebuke your hide. Well, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them? That are within? Oh, we're not to judge. You are a liar. According to God's word, we are to judge. Brother Donnie, are you mad? I am. That's the devil. I ain't mad at none of you now. But I do get mad at the devil robbing us and we wonder why the blessing of God ain't among us. How can God bless us if we compromise on his word? Oh my. But we're living in an age that don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Do not ye judge them that are within, them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put your arm around those wicked people and act as if though nothing is wrong. But why do we do it then? Well, it's my nephew, it's my cousin, it's, I don't care if it's your grandma. You love your grandma more than God's word? Whew, boy, it's getting out of here already. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. I wonder how many churches friends would have left Message churches. That's all the rest of these out here. They started doing this. Oh, what are you talking about doing? Well, for the most part, all you got to do is preach it. And they feel uncomfortable. They'll leave. A lot of them will. You don't really have to do anything. They just don't feel welcome. They just don't feel at home. Well, that's good. 
That's real good. I'm glad that if a homosexual comes in here or a prostitute or whatever more, they'll hear the gospel preached straight enough till they want to get in or out. If you want to get in and change, we're here to help you. If you're here to pervert our boys, we'll throw you out. No drunk went to church one time and, you know, was causing all kinds of trouble and all the deacons talked to him and didn't do nothing. They talked to him and didn't do nothing. Finally, they just grabbed him by the arms, throwed him out in the yard. On his way out, some more folks come in and said, what are they doing? He said, last time I was in there, they casting out devils. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, man. But of course... We have love in this day. That's why we vote in women preachers of the world as married to a woman. Or men that are married to men. Well, come on, church. Don't get quiet on me. Your face is done, brother. Scan this crowd here tonight so everybody can be identified. <laughs> Praise the Lord. My, my. Notice in Revelation 2.14. Now what's the spiritual parallel of how this runs? I have a few things against thee because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now what I find amazing about this is the book of Numbers is totally silent on any of his teaching. What it emphasizes it's his prophecy and his gifts. Man, a gifted man in this day. Wow. He sees visions, has dreams, can pray for people. Oh, my. That don't mean nothing. What about his adherence to the word of God? But now watch. Balak did not understand what to do. But Balaam with his fine understanding to the approach of God. Listen how sly he was. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now watch, this is the church age of course. So thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which thing I hate. Praise the Lord. Now, this may be quite simple to you, but I want to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Now, what's this from the Pergamian church age? In spite of the fact that Balaam knew the proper approach to God and could bring forth a revelation from the Lord by means of a special endowment of power. My brother, sister, I want you to listen to what this man had. To many of the people around the message, if they saw a man like this, they'd leave the teaching of the Word. They'd leave the teaching of the Bible. Oh my, they'd go after a man like this. It's unbelievable. How do you know I've seen them do it? And you have too. Listen to what he says. That Balaam could bring forth a revelation from the Lord 
by means of a special endowment of power. He was still, for all of that, a bishop in a false group. For what did he do now in order to win favor with Balak? He formulated a plan wherein God would be forced to deal with Israel in death. Satan couldn't do it. Balaam couldn't kill him. Balaam couldn't even prophesy against him. But he said, I know how. There's a way. Get them to fellowship. Get them to compromise. My, just as Satan knew he could beguile Eve and cause her to fall in fleshly sin, thus causing God. Listen, children. Satan cannot make God do anything directly. But he can cause God to have to move. Against his children. My goodness. Causing God to pass his pronounced sentence of death against sin. So Balaam knew that if he could get Israel to sin, God would have to deal with them in death. So Satan's desire is accomplished. He couldn't make God do it himself. So cause the people to do wrong. Then that in turn will cause God to punish them. And for many of them take their lives. So Satan gets what he wanted after all. Why? Because God's a mean God. Because we're stubborn, we're hard-headed, we're rebellious, we're slow. Can you say amen to that? So he planned a way to get them to come over and join in sin. Now remember, they're not coming over to be salty. No doubt they thought they were. No doubt they thought, well, we might go over and we might help them. We might bring something, somebody to the Lord. You can't never tell. So they sent out invitations to come to the feast of Baal Peor. Come over and worship with us. Now Israel no doubt had seen the feast of the Egyptians. So they did not feel it was too wrong to go and just look on and perhaps eat with the people. What's wrong with fellowship anyway? We're supposed to love them, aren't we? Brother, sister, this book, the Church Age book, was completed and handed out in 1965. Did it just sum up the rest of the entire long-lasting, however long it will be, Laodicean age? We're supposed to love everybody. Just draw the circle bigger. Everybody's going in. They can be drunks, liars, whoremongers, and whatever more. And when they die, they all go to heaven. Not the heaven of the Bible, they don't. If you're not born again, you go to hell. I don't care who you are, how famous you are, how rich you are, what your name is. There's only one way to heaven. It's not Mohammed. And I'm not scared to say it. It's not Mohammed. It's not Shintoism. There's only one way and that's Jesus Christ. 
What is wrong with fellowship anyway? We're supposed to love them, aren't we? Or how can we win them? Being friendly never hurt anyone. Or so they thought. Wow. But when those sexy Moabitish women began to dance and undress while they whirled around doing the rock and roll and twist, the lust rose up in the Israelites and they were drawn into the adultery and God in wrath slew 42,000. Forty two thousand. Lord Jesus. So we want to be salty. We want to share what we have. Well they don't want to end up like this. How many men have I heard about that wanted to witness to some woman? On the job. And they start having Bible studies. Just him and her. At break. Next thing you know, you got Eve and a serpent. Come on, friends. Don't sit there and look at me like I'm an idiot. You know it's the truth. It's like the story of two men that wanted to go into business. One had all kinds of experience. Years and years of experience. But no money. The other one had all kinds of money. But no experience. In two years, the man who had all the experience also had all the money. And the man who had all the money had only a handkerchief and tears. Because the man with all the experience took every dime he had. Oh, I'm trying to be a witness. I'm trying to look, look, we need to be led of the Lord of who we waste our time on. Do you understand? We can waste weeks, months, years of our time trying to win reprobates that have crossed the line and they're only a bait from hell to pull on you. The Holy Ghost, my brother, sister, will leave. Oh, I want to do this. It ain't what you and I want to do. It's what the Holy Ghost wants us to do. We want to witness to everybody he leads us to. I'm not interested in wasting my time on serpency. Oh, Brother Donnie, you should witness to everybody. Where would you get that at in the message? I'll tell you one thing. There's been people the Lord spoke to me and said, let them alone. When he tells me that, that's exactly what I do. I leave them alone. I'm not wasting my time. Some of you may not understand that. You may even want me to spend hours and hours and hours when God tells me to leave them alone. I'm going to leave them alone. Because God knows more than you and God knows more than me. So I'd rather give my time, praise God, to studying for those I can feed and lead those to the Lord I can lead to the Lord instead of wasting weeks of my time on somebody that cannot even be saved. 
Well, praise the Lord. Notice this now. Watch the prophecies. It runs a parallel between what happened in the Old Testament and the church ages. That is what Constantine and his successors did at Nicaea. And after Nicaea, they invited the people of God to the convention. And when the church sat down to eat and rose up to play, partaking of church forms, ceremonies, pagan feasts, named after Christian rites, listen to the end result. She was trapped. She had committed fornication. And God walked out. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And I'll scream. I'll make you mad if I have to. I'm, I, I may preach so hard that I'll make you so mad at me humanly that you oh, But if I can spare you from hell, you'll hug my neck one day. You'll stand there at them gates. Where's Brother Donnie? Where's Brother Donnie? I want to hug his neck. My brother, sister, I don't want our church going that way. I don't want our young people going that way. Oh, we want to be a light to the world. Yes, we don't have to compromise to be able to show the love of God. We don't have to compromise our standard and what we stand for in this end time to bring converts. I'd rather have 25 that love God with all their heart than 25,000 devils sitting in a building somewhere. Couldn't preach the truth, couldn't baptize right, couldn't mention the name of the Lord Jesus. Woo. I don't mind telling you, this service is going a whole lot different than what I had planned. But that's all right, I'm just a servant. I just want to do what he wants. Now, watch this, let's run a parallel to this. Mar- marriage naturally and spiritually. It's considered to be a union between peoples, groups, and nations. Watch this in Genesis 34 and 5. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dina, his daughter. And I remember this is whenever they moved up there and this Shechem had, had laid with his daughter. Now his sons were with the cattle in the field. And Jacob held his peace until they were come. And him or the father Shechem went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob come out of the field when they had heard it. And the men were grieved and they were very wroth because he had wrought fault in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife and make ye marriages with us and give your daughters unto us and take our daughters unto you. Now that sounds real friendly. That sounds real neighborly, real fellowshipy, real Laodicean y. But maybe we can leave what he tells Jacob and let's walk back up to the city, okay? Everybody come with me. Let's walk back up to the city and then we'll call the elders of the city together and we'll listen to what they told them. Now they said, these men have cattle. These men have riches. These men have all kinds of things. So if we will let them marry among us and then that we will take their daughters, we will take everything they have. And everything they have will be ours. You see, that's the kind of bargain Satan wants to play with you. You young people, he'll offer you this and that and the other, but he don't show you what it's like on the other side of the deal.
He don't show you what the meeting that he had with all of his demons down in hell and say tempt the young man with this and tempt the young lady with that and tempt the married man with this and that and the other but be sure and don't tell him you're going to lead his soul into a world of darkness. Make him tense. Make him real nervous till he'll get a little sup of, of alcohol to kind of help him but don't let him see the inroads going to be he's going to wind up being a sock drunk. Don't let him see that he's going to turn away from God. Don't let her see she'll sell all of her virtue but that's their intent. Oh I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. But may I say we are not here on this earth to be able to do what Satan wants us to do. Satan never brought us here. We are not here to serve his purpose. We are here to serve the purpose of almighty God. We are ordained by God, predestinated by God to be alike in the evening time and I say we will not compromise. We will not give up our virtue. We will not give our daughters to their sons. Nor will we take their daughters to our sons. But look what they tell Jacob in verse 10. You shall dwell with us in the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein and get you possessions. But when they went up to their brothers, that ain't what they said at all. They said everything these men have got will be ours. I like trophies. Trophy deer, bear, Elk, so does Satan. A denominational boy that was raised a Baptist, Methodist, whatever more, for Satan to get him on drugs and alcohol. Sure, he loves doing that. But there ain't no trophy that fills his room like a young man from our ranks. A young lady from our ranks that was raised in a virtuous way. And a boy brings her home one night and starts putting his hands in places that he shouldn't put. In, and she don't want to hurt his feelings because she wants a boyfriend so bad. Don't sit there and look at me like you know what I'm talking about. And before you know it, that which she's lived her whole life has been taken away. And now she is tainted because of some thief which wouldn't give you the time of day. Come on, church. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, what a trophy that makes on Satan's wall. But may I turn it around and say, what a trophy. You young men and you young women and you old men and you old women can be not on the wall of Jesus Christ, but strolling down the streets of gold one day when the Lord Jesus can say about you, you lived in the most wicked, dark, sinful, corrupt age that was ever in the earth. Hallelujah. And you didn't just barely hang on. You didn't make it from Sunday morning to Wednesday night. But you got up on Monday and you had the victory. You got up on Tuesday and you had the victory. You got up on Thursday and you had the victory. Even though you might not have felt like it. Because you were born again. You were born by the breath of God. You're born an overcomer. Oh, 
Brother Donnie, what would you know about such? You've served him all your life. Do you think I'm an idiot? You think Satan hadn't made me all kinds of offers? I know I'm not handsome. I know I ain't got a lot to offer. But for some reason or another, he'd still like to have me. So I know he don't always go by looks. Some of y'all should have said a big amen to that for your own. He don't go just by money. He takes the poor like he takes the rich. Upper class, middle class, lower class, and all trash. He takes them all. Is that right? But yet I've got something and you've got something that is so precious that the Lord Jesus left all the praise of angels and left walking down streets of gold, hallelujah, to come down to this world and give his life that I could be free. I must be worth something. <laughs> can we go a bit farther? You can go ahead and raise your crippled arms. Up. Amos 3.3 Can two walk together except they be agreed? 2 Corinthians 6.13 Now for a recompense in the same I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked. Together with unbelievers. Oh my. Let's look at this word unequally. Beautiful word. To come under an unequal or different yoke. To be yoked, unequally yoked. To have fellowship with one who is not unequal. Actually, this is a military term. It means to keep in your own ranks. You see, the Corinthian Christians were joining up, marrying, and all these things with the world. Feeling like it was okay. Well, this, this woman here, she's awful pretty, and this man is awful handsome here, and I'll, I'll, I'll win him to the Lord. I'll bring him to the Lord. Paul said, what are you doing? Well, somebody's going to get quiet on me. Or maybe I should say quieter. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness? Now watch how he contrasts this. Unequally yoked together with unbelievers, which is a believer yoked with an unbeliever. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? So he goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. Now, whenever Paul is addressing this, of course, it's, it, it goes with marriage, but it also goes with just natural fellowship. So he says, why are you being yoked up with someone who is an alien in spirit to you? Now, you see, the figure is drawn from Deuteronomy 22 and 10, also Leviticus 19, 19. Listen to this in Leviticus 19. You shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. In other, in other words, cross the species or cross the stain, the strain. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. Deuteronomy 22 and 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. 
The ox was a clean animal. The ass was unclean. So Paul said, whenever a believer marries an unbeliever, it's like paying up an ox and a donkey. You'll have to figure out which one's which. One of them is clean and the other one is unclean. Can you you imagine now this gigantic ox? It weighs 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. It's muscles on its legs, its forceps, its handset. I mean, they're massive in size. Here he stands about seven feet long. And on the other side, he's about that tall and about that long. Now, boys, that's what you're looking at when you're marrying a girl outside the ranks of this word. Sister, that's what you're looking at when you go to looking for a boy outside the ranks of this word. Now, in them two, if you pair them up together and you're going to plow out a hundred acres... Both of them is going to be really tired because the ox has done all the pulling because he pulled the plow and the donkey. Now some of y'all understand that kind of a marriage because you've had to pull your mate about everywhere you've went in God. And when you quit pulling, they quit going. Well, thank you, Jesus. Woo. I feel like one of the three Hebrew children I'm throwing in the fiery furnace tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it will never work. Now you imagine the ox has one nature and the donkey has another. Donkeys have their purpose, but not beside an ox. Sisters, oh, but Brother Darling, it's so hard to find boys that have body that are cute. There's some good brothers here, but their looks. Well, well, well. You'll find out in time, my sister, what's going to be way more important than his looks. It's going to be how he treats you. And what kind of character he's got and what kind of daddy he's going to be. And how he's going to be about church. But brother Donnie, there's some brothers at our church that I really like, but I can't stand smell soap takes care of that honestly you can convince him to take a shower oh but my goodness oh you know you don't know this and that you're looking at the wrong thing you're looking at the cosmetic value I wish somebody would hear me preach tonight oh I know some of you said you're looking at me yeah you ought to read some of the texts and some of the emails I got a couple weeks ago whenever I dealt with this from some people that said oh God brother Donnie I hope the people listen to what you're talking about my son done this my daughter done that my son I would to God my daughter would have listened to those words please don't let it pass by but may I say to you it goes beyond my friends just getting married it goes to those you have fellowship with it goes to those who 
are your best buddies and pals. Come on, somebody preach with me. Oh, yes, we ought to be kind. We ought to be nice to everybody in the world. But let me tell you something. If your best friend is a drunk, I, I feel sorry for you. If your closest friend is a dope-smoking marijuana pushing, I don't know what, you better find you a better pal. Because there's something wrong with your walk with God. Oh, you see, when they stand up here, I don't mind telling you, I'm married to a lot of donkeys to oxes. Sometimes the donkey's been on this side, and sometimes the donkey's been on that side. But I know one thing for sure, the man in the middle wasn't a donkey. <laughs> oh, but they can stand there and swoon and Hold their hand. Give him five years. Give her five years. Do we need a revelation of who we are, Mary? You better believe we do, brother. But her eyes, oh, her eyes just, I feel real funny in my stomach and my eyes go to do that. I do that when I get real hot. I'm in it like right now, you know, sweat running along my face. I'm going to feel real funny in my stomach. I was outside working yesterday, got real hot, and my feet started tingling, and my legs started tingling, and I knew it was time to back off a little bit because I was getting too hot. That didn't mean Carol was around nowhere. It didn't mean that I was looking at Carol. My eyes was just batting. I was batting on it, but I was trying to keep the sweat out of them. Come on, saints! And people think that's love! I know a few more visiting preachers if y'all want me to call one for this weekend. Notice this how Paul uses this parallel. I love this in Philippians 4, 3. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. And Paul didn't believe in women preachers. And Clement was also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Look at this word, yoke fellow. Yoked together. Of those united by the bond of marriage. So it's an interchangeable Greek word. Of those united by the bond of marriage, relationship, office, labor, study, business, or the like. A yoke fellow, consort, comrade, colleague, or partner. So here Paul is now addressing a brother that had so worked with him. So Paul did not have, uh, he, Paul wasn't yoked in this labor of the gospel. Paul was not yoked him being the ox and bearing the labor of the word. He was not yoked to some freeloader. Some donkey that basically just wanted to ministry so people would know this and that and the other about him. and He'd be able to travel around and get offerings and this and that. No, no Paul said you was a real yoke fella. Because whenever I got down and had to pull on the load, I looked over and there you was right with me. There you were. Oh, you wouldn't like some of them others. Whenever the battle got tough and Demetrius left and this one left and that one left. No, but you was your brother, sister. That's the kind of man or woman you want in your life. 
Brothers, you want the kind of woman that when you marry and when you're going through good times, she's there. But when you're going through bad times and you get a bad report from the doctor that she won't up and leave and say, oh, I didn't marry you. I didn't know you was going to get cancer. I didn't know you was going to get this and that and the other. But you said for better and for worse. Well, come on, children. Brother, you want somebody that my will stand by your sister? You want a man that'll not only have goo-goo eyes at you when he's standing up here, but when you get on a little bit of weight, well, praise God, and you move out of a size 6 dress up to a 12 and maybe gaining on and on, that he'll still look at you with goo-goo eyes. He may have to take his glasses off, but he can still do it. Because... <laughs> He still loves you with all of his heart. When your hair turns gray, he still loves you. Whenever he gets a big pot belly, sister, you still love him. You're not looking to trade him in for a newer model. That's the kind of companion you'll walk down the streets of gold with. Then you are yoked together by the grace of God. Let's stand. Lord of mercy, I don't want to preach so hard. Last Wednesday night, did somebody say? <laughs> Notice this, the prophet said, Judah and Israel had broken up and had become two nations as it was. And Ahab the king, who had got out of God's will by marrying a woman that was not of the faith. Do you know that's still a good thing, young man, to think about? Young woman, marry someone who is a Christian. Don't marry unbelievers. Yoke yourself not among unbelievers, Paul said, for us not to do that. The scriptures all through forbid not encourage, not allow, not tolerate, forbid to yoke yourself with unbelievers. And Ahab, friends, was not even really a consecrated believer. He was one just kind of around the edges, lukewarm as we'd call it. He always had problems. So if Ahab wasn't supposed to marry somebody like that, can you imagine somebody that's really supposed to be in? Notice again, the prophet said, then at his wedding, instead of marrying among his own people, he went over and married a sinner, an idolater, worship of idols. He married Jezebel. She was not a believer, and no believer should ever marry an unbeliever under no I felt. I don't care what you felt. The prophet of God said under no circumstances. Should always marry believers. Ahab did this evil thing. And no doubt but what Jezebel was a beautiful woman. And he'd fail for what she looked like instead of what she was. And that's why so many people make the same mistake this day. And she brought idolatry in the nation among the people. And the people, the priests and their ministers fell victim to this great popular demand. Oh my goodness. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I've been married physically for a long, long time. So I'm not looking for a wife. 
But neither am I looking for a false union to join myself in union with this man or that man or that man or that man that's not really consecrated to this word. We've got a lot of folks in the message that's just searching for the Messiah. They haven't found the Messiah yet. So they're still searching. So they look from this man and that man and that man. They go over here and go over there and this is the one. I found the Messiah. I'm not looking for a Messiah myself. I have found Christ the Word. I am so happily married to Him. I'm not looking for another. Anybody here with me? I'm not looking for another spiritual husband. I have felt, I say I found him. Actually, he found me. Praise God. <laughs> you have any regrets, Brother Dunning? Oh, I do. Yes, I have many regrets, but they're all on my part. None on his. None on his. In a few days, Carol and I will be married 45 years. I have regrets, but not one time do I have regret marrying her. I regret that I put her through a lot of things because of being a preacher and kind of preacher I am, a lot of the things that she's had a hard time. Real load to bear being a preacher's wife. But would I do it again, again, and again, and again, and again? That ain't just kind words I say in front of you all to make you all think sweet of me. I tell her the same thing because that's the way I feel. So anybody else here feel the same way about yours? Good. Praise the Lord. And that's the way we feel about this word. Amen. Ain't it, Brother Terry? That's the way we feel about this word. We just keep falling in love with him over and over again. Why? He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. Just keep falling in love with him over and over again. Praise God. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, you'd help us. Lord, we live in such a difficult age. The prophet said that in the early days, when people claimed to be a Christian, they just cut their head off. But he said, in this day, it's more deceiving. He said, if a Christian made a mistake, they just cut their head off, kill them. But he said, now it's Satan in the form of the church. Satan in the form of the church. Trying to convince them that they're saved when they're lost. Oh, Jesus, we love you so much. I know, Lord, the days of hard preaching for the most part in the world is done gone. I know I couldn't have preached one-tenth of this sternness tonight in the majority of the world's churches. And then, Lord, it makes me wonder how much longer it'll be welcome in message churches because the spirit of compromise is so rampant. But Lord Jesus, we want truth. Lord, my attitude is, if you see me wrong, correct me, Lord. Anything about my heart, my life, my spirit, my circle of fellowship, anything, Lord Jesus.
Help me. Help me that I can walk and be a surrendered vessel into your presence. We love you, Lord. I pray for the young men of our church, the young sisters, those that are unmarried, those that are at the boyfriend, girlfriend age or getting up close to it. May you help them, Lord. May you guide them. Help them not to compromise, Lord, because of loneliness and wind up getting someone in their life that will totally contaminate them. Like harnessing together a big strong ox with a little old donkey. Lord, women who've married to such know what that's like. They know what it's like. Men who are married to such know what that's like. Father God, may you help our young people. Not only in our church, but around the world, Lord. They're tempted to look out beyond the ranks. Just like the Moabites, Balaam knew it. He knew if he could get them men's eyes, the weakness of the men. So they taught them women how to get out there and strip themselves off. And the weakness of them sons of Israel. They compromised the word of God to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. And you had to move a loving, tender hand of God had to destroy 42,000. Oh, God, help us, Lord. But today, oh, it's more cunning. It's more sly. And you're not going about killing then, Lord. But now, the last death to hit the last age is spiritual death. So people die right in the church. They die listening to the prophet's tapes. Die reading their Bibles. Die. Because they don't have a real relationship with you. That's where they die. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to stay alive, Father. The prophet said, keeping the victory in this hour is keeping life in us. Praise God. We worship you tonight, Lord Jesus. Help us to be so salty that the world will know there's something different about us. But help us always to mark our perimeters and always keep in mind when we go to feeling ourselves being contaminated, we must back off. We broke over the line somehow. It'll always keep us in check if we're surrendered to you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many of that will be your prayer tonight before the Lord? Would you just raise your hand? Just tell him, Lord, that's me too, Lord. I want to contact Father, but I don't want to be contaminated. I don't want my testimony to be weakened. Can you imagine a man trying to lead a woman to the Lord and they wind up committing adultery? Imagine what happens to his testimony or vice versa. Somebody that tells what church they go to. Oh yeah, I go to Happy Valley Church and then in six months' time or a year's time they're smoking cigarettes, drinking, and doing this and that and other. Doing the same things they was witnessing to people to try to get them to stop doing. <laughs> That's a real testimony, ain't it? People like that ain't got no business sharing it, friends. But they got such pride and arrogance and they feel like they can do something. They're better off to keep their mouth shut if they're not salty enough to keep their own walk with God. Oh, but Brother Don, I'm going to do something so bad. But you want to do it when God anoints you. That's when you want to do it. Not on your own. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to build a kingdom for ourselves. We want to be led by the Holy Ghost. Do we not? Amen. We've got a bunch of our young people that's uh, going to leave on Friday. 
They're taking a tour to Europe, just a bunch of different places. And uh, I'd like for all of them, if they would, to come up front around the altar here. I want to offer a word of prayer for them before they go. God will just be with them, give them traveling mercy, watch over them, and bring them back home safely to us. Don't we, parents? Amen. Amen. Trust y'all will have a great, a great trip. You'll enjoy it. Amen. Aren't we proud of them? Don't we love them? And we love y'all that ain't going to. Let's just pray together for them, can we? Lord Jesus, you see Heavenly Father, these young people, joining up with a few more, and Sister Angel Smith, the responsibility of getting this all together and being responsible for them all in transit and going back and forth from one place to another. I'm sure it's been difficult for her, and we pray that you would just be with her and help her in this endeavor as well. Lord, these young men and these young women, I pray that you just be with them on their trip and their journey. Help them, Father, as they go to be able to, they'll see some beautiful sights and different countries that they're going to see and meet some believers from, from Belgium and some other places that they're going to run into them, Lord. I pray that you would help them, Father, as they go. May the grace of God watch over them, Lord. You see, they'll be flying on planes that are made by man, worked on by man, serviced by man. May your grace be with them. Your angels watch over them, Lord. As they go through the customs, as they go through people, keep them from harm and from danger and the day of terrorism that we live in, Lord Jesus. May the grace of God just watch over them, we ask. We pray that it would be a, a wonderful experience for them. Help them to realize how blessed they are. When you were here on the earth, you never got to go to Belgium. You never went to Paris. You never traveled over 100 miles from where you were born. And yet these young people are going to get to go to 10 different countries or something like that and travel thousands of miles. Help them, Lord, not to be able to just go and have a good time, but may they be able to spend some time in, in thankfulness and just to think of what a privilege it is for them to be able to do this and to be able to go about, Lord, and run into some other Christians. May you bless their trip. May it be a joyful trip for them, Father. Bring them back home safely to us, the parents and the church family, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless y'all. Hope y'all have a great time. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I made man stand in line up here, and I'll tell you my favorite restaurants after church, and you can. Buy me a gift card, because if you're mad, I don't want you eating with me. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. So appreciate you. Did you enjoy Brother Belton this weekend, the saints visiting with us? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's just bow our heads together. We'll be dismissed. Come again this weekend. I'll see you this weekend, Lord willing.
Father, we so appreciate your grace. Thank you for the service tonight, Lord, and your word. Pray that you go with us now, Father, as we depart from here. May we go with thinking about what we've heard tonight, Lord. May we appreciate it. May we love it. Father, those of us that are already married in the natural sense, help us that we do not join ourselves to anything contrary to your word, Lord. Keep us pure. Keep us genuine. Keep us true to the end of the journey, Father God. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. He gets sweeter as the days go by. He gets sweeter as the moments fly. His love is richer. Him, the more I love him, nothing good for me he'll deny. The longer I know him, the better I can show him. I couldn't stop now if I tried. Oh, he gets sweeter as the days go by. Oh, he gets sweeter as the moments fly. is richer
Sweeter as the days go by. 